I'm Maeve Doyle and this is A Private View, a podcast series featuring interviews with key figures in the art world, the art market, artists, curators, critics, auction house experts, art dealers, gallerists, curators, and other individuals who are redefining and reshaping the world of art as we know it. Oren Jacobi is director and producer of the documentary Shadow Man. It's a film about the work of street artist Richard Hamilton, an artist who was around during the days of Basquiat and Herring, but because of an overwhelming drug addiction, didn't receive the recognition in his life that Herring and Basquiat did. Oren Jacobi is here to tell us about the life and work of Richard Hamilton and his documentary, Shadow Man. Hello, Oren. Tell us about yourself. Thanks, Maeve. And thanks for the uh, very elegant English pronunciation of my name. In, back in the States, I go by Oren Jacobi, but I'll answer to Oren J- Jacobi. I think that sounds even better. Um, anyway, the... Every uh, time and, I do it. And, and thank you also for calling me... Uh, an expert, because again, I sort of consider myself more of a, a guilty bystander than an expert when it comes to Richard, just because I was lucky enough to meet him. Well, first, I was lucky enough to see his extraordinary work in the early 80s, which if you lived in downtown New York in those years, you couldn't kind of escape it. It was this mysterious body of images that appeared all over the city before there really was such a thing as street art. Um, and. They were images that just captured your imagination and blew you away. And then 30 years later, I was lucky enough to meet Richard, find out he was the guy behind those images. And then at a moment where some a group of art dealers were trying to resurrect his career, was lucky enough to sort of follow the chase to try to give Richard a second sort of flowering as, a, as an artist and as a known personality in the street art world. Incredible overview of, of who we're dealing with, but I want, I want to take you back to the beginning, and I want to ask you about Richard, how he ended up in New York. I know he's Vancouver-born. What your life in New York was at the time, how he fell through the cracks, and then bring us up to today. Okay, that's a big story. I'll start with Good. Richard's uh, wanderings that led him to New York City. He was uh, uh, trained at an art school in, in Canada that I think you know well. Um, I went to it. And uh, Emily Carr Art School and Correct. graduated from there. And then, as I understand it, he got some kind of a grant to do a, an art project, which he turned into this fabulous conceptual scheme of painting what looked like murder crime scenes across parts of Canada and huge swaths of the United States. Mm -hmm. He started, I think, in Vancouver, and he went down the west coast of uh, the United States and hit San Francisco, Los Angeles, Seattle, um, other towns along the way, and did had a friend would lie down in the street, and Richard would paint a white outline of the body and then throw some red paint somewhere on the figure that looked like a splash of blood. And they were startling, you know, things that blew your mind when you saw them. Because in those days, there was no, you know, there, this was decades before Banksy. People didn't ha- have any conception of what this stuff was that started to appear on the street. And uh, when these things ended up, he did them all across the country. And when they ended up in New York, I mean, I was, as I said, living downtown in uh, what they now call Tribeca, and they were just beginning to use that name for the the triangle below Canal Street. And uh, I lived around the corner from uh, a 
punk club called the the Mud Club, which was sort of a center of kids hanging out. And so it was a place that Richard went. It was a place Basquiat actually performed when he was a musician before he was a painter. And a few blocks from the club was where I first saw one of those amazing murder mysteries, as as Richard called them. A mass murder series is what he called it. So I imagine you coming out of the Mud Club in a Martin Scorsese type of 1980s New York and seeing in a semi-inebriated state one of Richard's terrifying chalk people. Yeah, and at first you thought it was an actual crime scene. That was the first reaction. Then you looked at it more carefully and you said, well, wait a second, there's something else about this. I mean, it's hard for people to put their minds in the place of what it was like to experience it because there was no art on the walls of New York City or any other city in America. Um, There was graffiti of people putting their names up, you know, Tacky 183, or people had just started to put graffiti on trains. And trains had some beautiful art that was on the sides of the trains or in the trains. Or there were people who were just writing stuff. Like, this was around the same period that that, uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat started writing poetry on the walls of the same neighborhood where Richard was. Um, But when you saw this thing on on the ground, it just... It took you a while to understand what it was. And then the time you saw the second one, you began to think, okay, somebody's actually doing this. This is, a, this is not an accident. This is not a, something the police department is doing to warn you this is a dangerous neighborhood. There is some mad conception behind it all. And then shortly after first experiencing one of those crime scenes, I ran into the next startling Richard, you know, sort of mind game, which was one of his shadows. He did a series which he actually called Nightlife when he was doing them because he claimed these figures came to life at night. And you'd, again, as you said, you'd come out of a club, you'd walk down the street, and then you'd jump because you'd think there was a guy standing on the corner who was about to hit you over the head because that was the sort of the, the pose of someone in action, someone about to jump or in mid-jump. And, uh, you know, you'd, I mean, it sounds crazy, but you re- that's really what it felt like the first time. And then you'd stand back and say, oh, no, that's a shadow painting that's some that's a figure it was so lifelike it was so full of sort of energy of movement that you believe for a second it was real then you began to understand this is something that somebody did and then you the idea grew that okay this is a new kind of art this is exciting and you were in a neighborhood where there were lots of artists and people were finding different ways to express themselves and so it was a cool sort of introduction and it, when you spoke to people years later who lived in that neighborhood for a lot of them these shadows were the kind of symbol, the expression of what that neighborhood and what that time in New York City was like. It was mysterious. It was exciting. It was energetic. But dangerous. it was also dark and dangerous. I mean, these were dangerous streets. There were a lot, you know, the murder rate was the highest it had been in years. And this was an area where there was a lot of murder because there were drugs and there were, you know, people, sort of predators looking for, you know, chances to get some money. Uh, so anyway, so that was where I intersected with Richard. He, shortly after that, this was 1980-81, um, he'd arrived in New York at the end of his uh, pilgrimage around the country doing these, doing the shadows, and he ended up then coming back to New York and settling there, um, down in, in the Lower East, in I think actually the East Village is where he had his first place. Um, uh, and then... Had you met him as a person yet, or was it just his no. work? I just saw the work, and nobody knew who did these things at the time. I mean, maybe a small circle of people in the in his community knew who, who they were. Now, there's two things I want to add just for 
people listening who may not know Richard's work, and a lot of people don't, because we're just bringing him back into a prominence that he deserves. Isn't that right? Yeah, I mean, he was super famous in 1983, 84. He was more famous than Basquiat and more famous than Keith Haring. And he was friends with both of them. Yeah. and So and from he, what I heard, he represented Canada in the Biennale? Um, he was in the Biennale. I'm not sure if the it was Venice what Biennale. country. It was the Venice Biennale in 84. And he was there with Basquiat and with Keith Haring. I know they were hanging out because uh, Richard told me a story. Or no, L.A. 2, uh, Angel Ortiz, who was a street artist who collaborated with Haring on most of his work. Uh, was he, he was a young um, Latino kid who, who grew up in the East Village, went to the local, actually, grammar school is where Herring met him, and he taught Herring how to use the spray paints and do the graffiti on the street, and then they collaborated. If you look at any Herring drawing, the elaborate detail, a lot of that is done by Angel Ortiz, who then went on to have his own career. But at this time, they were sort of collaborators and worked together, and uh, they were all in Venice together, and he told me the story that Richard would go out in Venice and do the shadows the way he would do anywhere he was. And Keith Haring, who had come up at the same time, his subway, amazing subway drawings started to appear around the same time that I first saw Richard's things on the street. You'd go down on the subway, and you'd see these white, elaborate white, beautiful things that Keith Haring would do on, the, in the, on these black panels in the subway. Um, and uh, anyway, they were in Venice, and... Keith got really upset that Richard was going out and, as he saw it, defacing this beautiful city of Renaissance, you know, and other buildings. And and Richard was like, you know, I don't do this carelessly. I'm not, like, messing anything up. It's not vandalism. I do it in places where it, you know, relates to what's there, and it's not, you know, permanent. And quite deep. That's quite deep. He really did believe that. Yeah. I mean, this isn't an act. He yeah. believed that he was... And then he sort of confirmed that with me later after I talked to, to LA2 about it. So they were all contemporaries, knowing each other. They were contemporaries and kind together. of rivals, and they would uh, both uh, Herring and Basquiat tagged Richard's shadows. They would go and do little paintings of their own on top of some of the shadows. So there's a famous one that is a beautiful dark shadow that was on East 13th Street, and Basquiat came and did a, like a skull inside the head of, of, the, of the shadow. Is that is that one of the, is that piece in the show? Is yeah, that, that piece in the image, show at Maddox there's, Gallery? There's an image of a wonderful photograph by Hank O'Neill, who was a photographer who chronicled a lot of what was happening in New York in those days on the street and did many, many photographs of all the street art in the city over the last four decades. Um, he lived around the corner, and this was one of the first of, I'd say, dozens, if not hundreds, of images that he's done of Richards and, and his contemporary. So photographs of the street art yeah. with Basquiat and Richard Hamilton working together. together. As I said, Herring also did some of his little babies inside of Richard's shadows. Amazing. Like they had little babies in their womb. Um, and both of the, we show both of those things in the film, talk about it, and have Richard talking about what it was like to have this sort of funny back and forth. Okay, wait a minute, you jumped. So... They're all famous, and I like the jump. They're all famous. They're, Richard's more famous. They're working together. Everyone in the world knows about Keith Haring and Basquiat. Not everyone knows about Richard Hamilton. What happened? Well, the, the period, again, we're talking about is like now 80, 81, 82. 
all three begin to do their art that they've been doing on the street initially. Although, as I said, Basquiat wasn't really painting on the street. He was just writing poems. He's writing words on the street. And, and his signature, Samo, which was his, his nickname or his street name, and a little crown, the famous Basquiat crown. Um, but he, had, he started, after Richard and after Herring, they all began to work on canvases and make their stuff available for sale which was sort of the second phase of their careers. And around that time, from like 82 to 84, I think their paintings sold for what was considered pretty good money in those days, believe it or not, for downtown art. They would sell for $15,000, $15,000 a canvas. Um, I think... How uh, things change. Basket just went for The basket that went for, I think, $180 yeah. million American. American dollars. You know, we'd sort of gotten up to the point where Richard was beginning to paint in studios with Herring, with Basquiat. Uh, the difference was Richard, as they started to grow famous, and Richard, as I said, was more well-known and more famous than the other two. He was on the cover. He was featured in Life magazine. There was a sort of cover inset of him in Life magazine, a huge spread about his art, amazing photograph of him, sort of like Pollock, throwing his paint at the canvas. But instead of throwing it at the canvas, he got the cameraman to be in front of him, and he threw the paint at the cameraman. So the paint is flying out at you in this huge, like, two-page spread in Life magazine. And like he the was, Picasso, like the Picasso documentary. Yeah, and he was in paintings. On glass. He was in paintings all over the world. I'm sorry, he was in in magazines and newspapers all over the world because he traveled as he got more famous. Very good. He looking came and man did the shadows, too. and he was also kind of a rock star. He was handsome. He loved, you know, hanging out with beautiful women, and they loved Richard, and he was charming and funny. Um, he had the James Dean glasses and the turned-up <laughs> collar. And Richard Hell, who who was the great punk rocker in New York, who we interviewed for the film, he said, you know, his idea. Richard was always like the coolest, best-dressed guy in the East Village. He was the guy that you would look at and said, "That's the cool cat." And this is, I mean, Richard Hell, you know, who played with Patti Smith, who played with television, one of the greatest punk rockers ever. He sort of defined cool himself. So to to give Richard that credit wasn't kind of amazing. Anyway, so Richard. Got to be well-known. He got all this fame, People Magazine, Vogue, everything. Uh, exhib exhibitions in Italy and Paris. And he painted on the Berlin Wall. He was invited by the Checkpoint Charlie Museum to paint wow. a huge, a huge uh, mural of shadow men. I think there were like 20 shadow men in a row on the East German side of the Berlin Wall. That's um, crazy because I was there at that time and they weren't hospitable. Uh, they weren't like well, they weren't he inviting got, people to He could have to gotten arrested. I mean, he could have been. You know, they warned him. They said, "Look, we'll give you the paint. We'll pay for the paint, and we'll, you know, tell you when to go. But we can't definitely guarantee that the East German police won't come after you." Um, but he managed to do it, and the painting was there for a long time. And now it's it's in the Checkpoint Charlie Museum uh, in Berlin. Um, now, but anyway, so he was getting the attention. But the thing about Richard always was he had demons, and he had kind of ambivalence about being famous. In a way, he had ambivalence even about selling his, his art and the people who tried to help him. He was always suspicious. He was always kind of thrilled that people wanted his work and wanted to sell it, but he was also kind of crazy about how the process would work and not trustful. Where can they see Shadow Man? Uh, Shadow Man is available on iTunes and Amazon, Amazon Prime in the States, I think it's probably... You can too. figure it out, you yeah. You can figure it out, it's out there. Um, 
You've been listening to A Private View with me, Maeve Doyle. I'm a curator for Paddle 8. I'm also BBC Radio London art critic. Follow me on Instagram at mavedoyle.art. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye for now.